this week on Hope for the Broken. Regardless of the view that we have, life is filled with endless possibilities. And when we are presented with an opportunity, it often results maybe in some confusion or some anxiety or some indecision. And to complicate that, we're taught from a very little age, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Well, God, what are those plans? Now, I'd really like to know, how do I know if I'm living in those plans? Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we begin a new sermon series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. For our new series, we've asked you to send in your questions about the Bible, church, and about God. During the next few weeks, we will use the direction of God to give you the sound biblical answers to your questions. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part one titled, How Do I Know God's Will? Well, today we are beginning a new series of sermons entitled, Real Questions, Biblical Answers. And what we did over the course of July is we introduced this series to you, this idea, and we fielded questions from each of you. And we have consolidated that into a series over the course of the next several weeks where we are attempting, where I'm going to attempt to answer the questions that you have. And the questions were great questions. I mean, some of them were theological in nature. Some of them were uh, more practical in nature. And so I'm really excited about taking the next several weeks and uh, answering each of your questions. Today, the question that we are going to answer is the question, how do I know God's will for my life? Or maybe you're asking the same question in a different way. The question that maybe you're asking is this, how do I know that I am following God's plan for my life? How do I know that I'm actually living, living it out? And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I want you to hold your finger there in Romans chapter 12 as we answer that question. We're going to be in a lot of different uh, passages of scripture uh, here this morning, but that is going to kind of be serve as the basis for how I want to answer that question. And I want to answer the question today in three different ways. I want to first take a look at what is a biblical view, what are the biblical doctrines, the biblical teachings regarding God's will for our lives. And then I want to talk about ways that we often confuse God's will in our life, that we make it complicated in in our lives. And then I want to talk about practical ways that we can position ourselves to make really good godly decisions. You know, there are many different views of God's will. You talk to some people and it's like a hidden Easter egg that you have to search and you have to find uh, God's will for your life. For others, the will of God is something that is viewed as the opposite of fun. Whatever God's will is for my life has to be exactly what I don't want to do, right? That is, that is one view of God's will. There are others that approach God's will by trying to coordinate all the, the coincidences in their life. You know, they could be walking down a street, a map fly in their face, their nose land on China, and God must be telling me I'm supposed to be a missionary in China, right? Trying to coordinate all these events. 
Then there are other people that kind of view God's will as that God only has one will for your life. And that if you get off track at any point in your life, well, then you're doomed forever and you're forever outside of the will of God. And we have a tendency to overcomplicate God's will. I don't know which will you, your view, which you kind of align with, but, but the desire for us to be, quote, I don't know if you've heard this before, I want to be in the center of God's will. I, I think that's actually a good thing. On one hand, because it it expresses a believer's desire to be obedient to God, right? Like, I want to be obedient to the Lord in my life. I want to be in the center of his will. But then we tend to overcomplicate what that will is, and we start looking for specifics on exactly what it is that God is asking us to do, and and we find ourselves confused. Um, And so today, I hope to bring clarity uh, to help you answer How do you know what God's will is for your life? Doing God's will is something that is presented in Scripture. Uh, King David, in Psalm 143.10, he prayed a prayer. And this is what he prayed. He says, Lord, teach me to do your will. Uh, Notice that David didn't ask, Lord, I want to know your will. He said, I want to do your will. Uh, Jesus lived his life in pursuit of God's will. The apostles and the early church followed and pursued the will of God as they unrolled this thing that we call church today. And regardless of the view that we have, life is filled with endless possibilities. And when we are presented with an opportunity, it often results maybe in some confusion or some anxiety or some indecision. What should I major in? Should I get married? If so, who should I marry? What job should I take? Should I spend this money? Where should I go to church? What should I be doing with my life? I'm retired. Now what? What does God want me to do? So many questions that we are seeking the answers to in our lives. And to complicate that, we're taught from a very little age, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? What does that say? Says God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. To which we say, wonderful, that's amazing. Well, God, what are those plans? I'd really like to know uh, those plans, and how do I know if I'm living in those plans? Well, let's begin our study of God's will this morning. Let's first look at the biblical teaching about God's will. What does the Bible say about God's will? Scripture presents God's will in two forms. There is God's sovereign will, and then there is God's prescriptive will. Those are the only two wills of God that mentions in the entirety of the Bible. So let's define those. Let's unpack those. First, let's take a look at God's sovereign will. When we use the word sovereign, it's it's a word that means supreme. Right, So to say that God's will is sovereign means that it is absolute. In other words, God's sovereign will is already determined. And the sovereign will of God is inflexible. And it will come to pass. There is nothing that anyone can do to thwart the sovereign will of God. So when God says something that will happen, says something will happen, it will happen. 
right? Because that's in God's sovereign will. There are a couple of biblical examples that come to my uh, mind whenever I think about the sovereign will of God. One of those is the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, I think we have a tendency to look at that story, you know, Judas sells uh, Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver and then they come and they arrest Jesus and then they detain him and then ultimately give him this fake trial and then crucify him. And a lot of times we have a tendency to look at that story and say, well, if Judas wouldn't have sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, well, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. No, because it was God's sovereign will that Jesus die for our sin, right? So whether it was Judas or it was somebody else, God was going to see that his sovereign will was going to come to pass. Does that make sense to you guys? Do you guys understand that? It was within God's will that Christ die as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And because that is in his sovereign will, there's nothing that could have thwarted that. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 through 28 proves that very fact. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. In other words, God anointed people to be against Jesus. Why? Why did he do that? And by the way, he named some of the people that God anointed to be against Jesus. He says both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So why did he anoint them for that purpose? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was God's plan A from the very creation of the world that Jesus would die in our place uh, to become our sin. That's the sovereign will of God. Another scripture teaching the sovereign will of God is Psalm 135, 6. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And he does that whether it is in heaven or on earth or whether it is in the seas or in all deeps. Another reference to God's sovereign will is Matthew 10, 29 through 30, which says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Guess what, beloved? Our days are numbered. In fact, Scripture teaches us to learn to number our days so that we may live with a sense of urgency. And the number of our days are held in the secret of God's sovereign will. Right? So you will not live longer than God has already predetermined, and you will not live shorter than what God has predetermined. Right? Does, that, does that make sense? That's the sovereign will of God. You know what else is in the sovereign will of God? The return of Jesus. It is a certainty. Jesus is coming again. Scripture promises it. Scripture teaches it. God himself has said it, and therefore we can take it to the bank. And there is nothing that can thwart the coming of Christ. Why? Because it's God's sovereign will. Amen? So the, here, here's, here's the practical side of understanding the sovereign will of God. Knowing the sovereign will of God ought to bring comfort to you and me. Because here's the deal. When you and I are faced with decisions, you need to know that regardless of the decision that you make, you cannot change the sovereign will of God. You're not that powerful. I'm not that powerful. No matter if it's a good decision or a bad decision, God's sovereign will is going to unfold. You could take it to the bank, okay? 
So that's God's sovereign will. The second form of God's will mentioned in the scripture is God's prescriptive will. What is God's prescriptive will? Well, this is the part of God's will that he asks his people to do. In other words, God's prescriptive will is the way in which he wants us to live. And there are places in the scriptures that very plainly talk about God's prescriptive will. I want to point out a few of those to you. First, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, God's prescriptive will, is that you do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God here? To not love the world, but instead to love him, to follow him, and to not love the world in its ways. That is God's will for your life. Another passage, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21, says, now may the God of peace, who brought uh, again from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may what do his will well what is that well he goes on working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen what is god's will to be pleasing in his sight to do what is pleasing in god's sight one final passage that talks about god's prescriptive will deuteronomy 29 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we we may do all the words of this law. Now, this verse is an interesting verse because it is the, the only verse in the pages of Scripture that come close to identifying both God's sovereign will and his prescriptive will into one verse. God's sovereign will in this verse is the secret things. Those are the things that belong to God. And only God knows his sovereign will. But then the prescriptive things are also in this this verse. The things that are revealed. What are the things that are revealed? The words of this law. In other words, it is God's will that you and I be obedient to his word. That we pursue holiness. That we pursue godly lifestyles. That we live that way. That we arrange our lives according to the words of God. That is his will for us. With God's sovereign will, there is no choice. But with God's prescriptive will, he gives you and I the freedom to be obedient to it or to not be. But regardless of whether or not we are obedient or not obedient to his prescriptive will, God will still accomplish his sovereign will. Now, when we want to know God's will for our lives, I understand that you're not really interested in God's sovereign will nor his prescriptive will. What we are really asking is, God, we want to know the specific plans you have for us. Well, listen, the scripture only gives us those two versions of God's will. God's will does not unfold specifically that you should do X, Y, Z in the scriptures. Now, I think he uses the scriptures in order to confirm his direction in your life. Uh, But that is not necessarily within God's will. 
There are only two wills, his sovereign and his perspective will. So the question then is this, does God have a specific plan for our lives? To which the answer is yes. Does God expect us to know the specific plans before we make a decision? The answer is no. See, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, perhaps you're thoroughly confused. I'm supposed to follow God's specific plan for my life, but I don't necessarily know it before I have to make a decision in it. Correct. So let's look to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as we seek to learn an answer on how then we are to know this. Two passages of Scripture, actually. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then Jeremiah 29, 11. Paul is writing, he says, As I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Beloved, this is a command. This is the prescriptive will of God. We are to live this way. And there's more, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, God's prescriptive will. This is what God wants for us to do. Why? Why does he want us to do that? Keep reading. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do I know God's will for my life? Very simple. Walk with him. That's it. Walk with him. Become a living sacrifice. Pursue holiness in your life. Flee from sin. Run to the Father. And in so doing, you will be able to discern God's will for your life. Why? Because you are positioning yourself to know and to follow God. Now let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, This is the famous God's plan for your life passage. Let's take a closer look at it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What are those plans? Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God knows the specific plans he has for you. That's the first part of this verse. But those plans are to pursue holiness which is the opposite of evil. That's God's plan for your life. In in other words, plans for your good, plans for your future are rooted in the pursuit of holiness. And when we pursue God in holiness, we have a future and we have a hope. The the problem in knowing God's will is that we as humans, in in our imperfection, uh, often confuse and we distort things in our lives. When it comes to knowing God's will for our life, it's no different. And so before I give you practical ways on how you can make godly decisions, I want to highlight ways that we often confuse and distort God's will. We often confuse and distort God's will. And the reason why I want to point this out is because when we distort or when we confuse God's will, we often cause harm to ourselves and harm to others. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. The first way that we distort God's will is that we over-spiritualize God's will. We have a tendency to over-spiritualize it. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to know for sure if this is God's plan for me. I need to know the kind of cereal God wants me to eat. 
before I share the gospel with this person, I want to make sure it is God's will that I do that. Let me answer that question for you. It is always God's will to share the gospel with everyone. How do you know that, Pastor Chris? Because it's in God's prescriptive will. Uh, Acts 13, 47 says this, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, God has already willed that you share the gospel. Plain and simple. Also look at the Great Commission. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. There's plenty of verses to support that it is in the prescriptive will of God that we share the gospel. And by the way, God prefers frosted flakes. If you're looking to know what he wants you to eat. I think we can all recognize that there's areas in our lives that we tend to over-spiritualize God's will. The second way we distort God's will is that we weaponize God's will. We don't just over-spiritualize, but we often weaponize it. In other words, we use it as if it's a trump card. I mean, who can argue? If you say it's God's will, who can argue against it, right? But how do you know that's really God's will, right? Uh, Let me tell you how I weaponized God's will. When I was in college, I was hanging out with this one girl. There was this other girl that started showing me attention. And I'm like, ooh, God, what is your will? You know, I don't know what to do. And I found this other girl slightly more attractive. And so I determined it was God's will that we break up, right? And so I go to her and I was like, it's God's will that I not see you anymore. And then I walk over here, right? What did I do there? I weaponized God's will. How can anyone argue with that? And so we can often weaponize it. Sometimes we'll say, God told me to tell you, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'd issue some caution there. Be careful before you speak on behalf of God that it really is God. Right? And so we often weaponize God's will. We over-spiritualize, we weaponize. Thirdly, we disguise God's will. We over-spiritualize, we weaponize, and we disguise the will of God. When we proclaim something, oftentimes, as, quote, the will of God, we're really taking something that we want and making it align with God's will for our life. We are often asking God to bless that which we already desire, right? That's disguising God's will. We as humans are great justifiers. We will justify anything. And we often think that because something is easy or something comes easy, or we think something will make us happy, or we think we'll find true fulfillment in X, Y, Z, that that must be God's will for our lives. But try telling that to Paul when you get to heaven. God makes his will easy. What about the apostles? You think starting the church was, quote, easy, came easy for them? I guarantee you not. And so we often take what we want in the first place, what we think would make us happy, and we determine that it's God's will. Paul encountered obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. He was even stoned and drug out of the city and left for dead. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating drops of blood? Remember what he prayed? God, if it's possible, Let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. 
The hardest thing that Jesus ever did was the cross, and I think we would all agree that was within the will of God. And so God doesn't just call us to do his will because something lines up just perfectly and is all easy. It comes easy for us. Now, I'm not saying that God won't make his will obvious because I have experienced that, that God has made his will obvious in my life. But make no mistake, God's will for our lives is anything but easy. God is calling you to a God-sized task so that you would depend upon him and see him work in and through you. I'm not saying that God's will makes us unhappy, you see. I'm just saying that we can't disguise our own happiness and our own fulfillment as God's will because it makes life easier for us. That's called disguising the will of God. All right, so we, we understand God's sovereign and his prescriptive wills. Uh, we don't want to confuse or distort God's will. So back to the question, practically, how do we navigate knowing what is God's will for our life? Three things that I want to share with you. Three practical things. Number one, be rooted in God's word. To be able to see and to know the Lord's leading in your life you must be in God's word. Plain and simple. You must know and be obedient to God's prescriptive will. We should not expect to hear anything from God or receive any wisdom from God if you are not rooted in his word. God speaks to us through the Bible. He teaches us through the Bible. And so it's extremely important. Romans 12, 2 told us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do we renew our minds? By studying that which is holy, not that which is sinful. And we align our lives with God's word. Doing this will allow us to leave behind our personal desires and be able to know that we are following Jesus. Our personal desires is what often confuses our understanding of God's will for our life. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Unfortunately, I've heard pastors preach this verse and they omit the first phrase. They say, God wants to give you the desire of your heart. What is the desire of your heart? Name it, claim it. That is God's will for your life. Oh, but you first have to delight yourself in the Lord. You have to humble yourself to the Lord. You have to align your heart to God's heart. And listen, when we align our heart to God's heart, God gives us his heart. And that's what that verse is all about. We begin to see things the way God desires us to see things. In order to know God's will, we got to be rooted in and aligned to his word because God will never lead contrary to his word for our life. Secondly, be rooted in God's word. Secondly, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. The best way to seek godly counsel is to be prayerful, and to seek the advice of people that are living their lives in a way that honors God. Find mature, dedicated followers of Jesus and ask for their advice. That's important. Because 
people give advice according to who they are. If they are people that align themselves to the things of this world, they're going to give you worldly advice. If they are people that align themselves to God's word and pursue God, they're going to give you godly advice. So pick mature followers of Jesus and seek their advice. Now, this does not negate being in God's word. In other words, this is not an either or. This is a both and to discovering God's design for your life. Seek mentors, parents, pastors, friends, church members, etc., that are following hard after the Lord. Invite them to pray with you and for you. Now, here's the deal. Regardless of who has given you counsel, ultimately you are responsible for your decision. I am responsible for my decisions and my choices. But you have input from others that care about you and desire to help you and that pray for you and that are for you. That helps you follow the Lord's lead. So be rooted in God's word. Seek godly counsel. Thirdly, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. I know from my own life experiences, And I know in counseling other people that are trying to understand and discern God's will for their life that it often creates angst. We want to know. We don't like the space between. It's hard. It's dark. It's filled with wonder. Instead, we want to arrive at what God has for us. But could it be that part of the journey is what God has for you? Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the discovery. Enjoy following the Lord and let him lead and guide you. God wants to weave a beautiful tapestry with your life if you'll allow him. Have you ever seen a tapestry? You know what I'm talking about? These giant woven piece of arts that hang in museums and galleries and sometimes in churches. They're beautiful. Took tons of work to weave together every stitch, every thread to find its rightful place to paint a beautiful picture. But if you look at the backside of a tapestry, it's a hot mess. You can't discern, you can't understand what exactly is going on. And here's the truth when we're on the journey, oftentimes the only thing we see is the backside of the tapestry. But if we'll enjoy it, follow God. Enjoy the journey. One day you're going to see the front side of that tapestry and see that he is leveraging your life to weave something beautiful. Enjoy the journey, even if it's hard. When I counsel people about God's will, I often tell them about a specific story in my life. When I was in college, I used to play competitive church league softball. That exists. That's a thing. And most of the people playing there are not church-type people, right? And I remember in college, I was, I was playing competitive church league softball. It was in Waco, and I was playing left center field. It was the first game of the tournament. It was an 8 o'clock a.m. game, playing left center field. And a guy hit the ball, and it was a very well-hit ball. But I thought, you know what? This ball is within my grasp, and I began chasing that ball. I was running hard after that ball. I was focused on that ball. And guess what? I was tracking really well with that, base, with that softball. And I was dead sprint. I was about to catch it. 
when I realize I'm completely unaware of the field or anything that is around me until I ran right into the fence and the ball soared over the fence for a home run. When I picked myself up, I had been severely cut in the design of a chain link fence across my mouth. And the shortstop who had come out to be the cutoff man began dry heaving when he saw what was happening. And I was like, what's wrong with you, dude? He goes, dude, your face. Your face. So I touch it, and of course, blood's everywhere. We finish the inning, and I run in, and my coach, who's also my college minister, he goes, you can't leave the game. I was like, why? He goes, well, if you leave the batting order, it's an automatic out for us. And so I just stayed in and put a towel over it, threw it away, went into the batter's box, just gushing blood, and finished the game. Then went to the ER, got stitched up, and I came back, and we played the rest of that tournament, right? Why do I tell you that story? Well, let's suppose, for the sake of this illustration, that that ball represents God. And in that moment, I was so focused on the ball that the rest of the world went dim. Didn't even know where I was. I was so focused on that ball. When we make sure that we are so focused on the Lord, so in tune with Him, running hard for Him, after Him, God has a way of causing us to run into God's will for our lives. Don't overcomplicate it. Focus upon him. Allow him to guide and direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will happen? He will direct your paths. You want to know God's will for your life? Run hard after him and leave the rest of it up to him. Somebody's asked me one time, Chris, how did you know is God's will for you to come and pastor Trinity Baptist Church? I was in a ministry that I was loving. God was doing amazing things. Didn't want to leave. And in the midst of that, the search committee at Trinity Baptist Church gave me a phone call. And I told them I'm not interested. But in the events that began to unfold from there, I found myself praying for Trinity Baptist Church. I found myself dreaming for Trinity Baptist Church. I couldn't get Trinity Baptist Church out of my mind and off of my heart. I didn't have some God appeared to me in a dream that told me to go. No. I delighted myself in the Lord. And he gave me the desires of his heart. That's how I wound up here. That's what it means to follow God's will in your life. God is much better at opening and closing doors than you and I will ever be. Allow him to do it. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. 
If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.